Alamo does it right, though. I, they, they make, yeah. for, for the right movie, they will make themed food. So it, it complements the movie as opposed to detracts. I'm sure they're doing something for Dune. Oh, I'm sure. Also, like their stance on if someone complains about you being noisy, we're just going to kick you out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, be no riffraff here. Theater. Yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking of side hustle, Igor, that 3D printer that you gifted me, remember that? Well, yeah, I Bear. technically gifted it to the girls. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> I have their guardian. But, but yes, course, I, so, no, Charles straight up told me that you gave it to him. So. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. For the girls. So they, we printed out some for Halloween on the printer. Chloe how, brought how it to big? school. I try to do a real big one, like, like mm-hmm. in four different parts and mm. wasted like half of the freaking filament. And the thing overnight, it fell off the adhesion plate or the build plate. And so I woke up in the morning. I was like, oh, dear God. So I scaled it way down to create maybe a four-inch tall. Chloe took one to school, and apparently all the kids are interested in it. They want one. And so I said, okay, Mm, uh here's a business. And so they wrote down all the people that they're going to talk to today. And they're going (laughs) to take orders. We have... Pricing set, $2 per figurine of comparable size, $3 if you want an object. I don't know why they charge more for an object versus a versus an animal. Oh, but like a soccer ball or something yeah, like that? Yeah. And uh, we're going to make this thing a business. So thank That's you for very, that. It's very enterprising. Oh, that. Yeah. Charles and Daughters Print Shop. Yeah. Uh, they came up with a name. <laughs> they call me Doity for some reason. So it's like Doity's 3D Creations. That's the name. Oh, that's so good. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was weird. But they're like, no, I think my friends will think Doity is cool. I was like, oh, I feel like an idiot, but Doity it is. There you go. Get some business cards made. Yeah, that's what I said. So when you come up with a logo, they're like, do we really have to? I was like, no, you're right. Let's (laughs) come on, dad. (laughs) Let's test the market. Let's see. Let's keep track of our revenue and our expenses because I had to buy new filament. And if we want to scale, then we're going to need some of this stuff. Then, okay. So we'll see. You got a connection. You can get 3D printers for free, apparently. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what well, she was saying. Only like, if you're oh. an adorable child. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah Charles does true. have two. You know, <laughs> only got one printer. Yeah, I mean, so. Silly me. I, yeah. When, when Doity's 3D creations needs to scale, <laughs> I'll, I'll come asking my, my financial backer for <laughs> next <laughs> round right. of funding Supplier. to help it's us to the, achieve it'll our It'll be your targets. Series B <laughs> angel round. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We've come a long way. It's such a great time to be alive. In junior high, I sold bubblegum, like little cheap candy. <laughs> I would, nice. My mom would drop me off at the gas station right before school, and I would load up a paper bag full of 25-cent gum and sell it for 50 cents genius yeah what's interesting is that the kids are not they're not they have money they get an allowance they i take them shopping they could buy things with their own money but they're resistant to ask their friends for money but hey look that you're solving a problem for them it's like they want what you have you're giving it to them for for something in return and you can use this to buy whatever you want i was surprised to see them be so resistant to it i think they'd rather just give it away which is very generous but it's like hey that you know, that that can only get you so far. They're like, why can't we give it away for free? It's like, well, you know, if we do this a lot, then we're going to be continuing to spend money on buying raw materials and stuff like that. And I don't know, but I, I guess I have to do more education around around that. Anyway, we're having fun. That's important. When y'all were 
discussing pricing, did you take into account things like cost of filament? Was that like a teaching moment or anything like that? That was like a cost plus pricing yeah. model? I, I didn't get sp- super detailed, but it's like, hey, look, larger things should cost more because they take more time and attention because you have to babysit and watch it and pause it and restart it if it fails. And it just requires more more plastic. And yeah, we did talk about that. We started to talk about counting too. It's like, hey, you need to take the orders, but we need to keep track of what do we build? What did we charge them? What did we what did we spend money on? And start creating a book to keep track of all that stuff. Nice. We'll see. We'll see if it sticks. I, I'm not sure there's any class they'll take up through being a senior in high school that would teach them that. Yeah. So that is a very yeah. useful thing to, and it's practical. Yeah. Are, are they using accrual or cash-based accounting? <laughs> so both. it's a little bit, I was going to say cash-based, but they are perfectly fine with giving the product and then asking for the money and then getting payment later because they're in a rush to satisfy their friends' demands. <laughs> and so I was pushing for cash, but we're going to go with accrual for now. And, and are they compliant with the Uniform Commercial Code and generally accepted accounting procedures? Ab- absolutely Sorry. not. <laughs> but <laughs> Thanks, I, Robert. I do got a tax guy that from Robert, so I'd, I'll be sure to <laughs> <laughs> inform him of, uh, of the need to create an LLC. And There you go. To get all oh, compliant man. with that Actually, stuff. Actually, you might. I know we're joking. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's enough profit or whatever to make this worthwhile, but I think the money they bring in, you can actually put into an IRA in their name. It's very hard to get money in a retirement account for kids before they're adults. And there's all sorts of rules against it. If you have a, a business and you can't pay your kid $25,000 to come sweep the floor in an IRA, it has to be like a market wages and stuff. But if they have, if you incorporate and you have, which is fairly cheap, and you put whatever profit they make into an IRA, I think that would work. But I, we don't, we do not give tax or legal, or professional or personal advice on this podcast. <laughs> or any kind of advice, <laughs> education really. and entertainment purposes only. <laughs> yeah, this mostly <laughs> entertainment. But you might want to ask because, yeah. like, you you could actually be onto something. You know, just a few thousand dollars over it if they just start with that before they go to college. Like that could be a big deal. Next time I come into the office, too, I hope I don't see like a little gift shop stand (laughs) (laughs) where the excess inventory is sold at a discount. Yeah. All right. What do you all want to talk about? Yeah. Sorry for co-opting the time. No, it's great. Let me see. How do I ramp up a new tech? I like that one. How do I get more responsibility? I like that one. How often should I check with my boss? I'm neutral on that one. It's kind of, I don't have an initial thought about what I would say which is fine. But yeah, I like those. Igor? I say we go for it. I like it. So rapid, new hire, rapid fire questions. Yeah. Yeah. So that I guess this would make our second episode. We've done a few now in answering questions that we get from new hires. So mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. just coming out of new hire season. We've done our multiple new hire onboarding where we force feed Kool-Aid and get everyone sort of indoctrinated. Into our system, which we're pretty effective at, I think, which is good. And now you get hired, you get onboarded, you get your laptop, you get your phone, you're set up, got all your direct deposits, things going on, and then you land on your project. So this happens everywhere, whether you're in consulting or not, and you have to actually 
do work and be productive. And so these questions are really around that. So I'll maybe read the three off that we have remaining and we'll get them rapid fire. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, The first one is how do I ramp up on a new technology or topic? Second is how often should I check in with my boss? And third is how do I get more responsibility? So we'll start with the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Igor, you want to take a stab at it? Yeah, so this is the question that's about how do you get acclimated to a new technology fast? Yeah, ramped up on a new technology quickly. Ramped up on a new technology. Yeah. yeah. The best advice I know how to give is usually like the advice that's worked for me in the past. And whenever I'm presented with ramping up on a new technology, and I have a pretty uh, broad definition of technology. It could be a new tool. It could be a new, let's say, programming language. It could be a new, even, let's say, like a design style whatever it is. I'm like a hands-on learner. And so what I like to do is I like to uh, create a small project that I think is cool, that excites me personally, and then use that new technology to help build some piece of a solution that's like meaningful. Because if I try to follow a tutorial or something like that, I'll still watch some tutorials just to get a sense of like the capabilities of the tools and some tips and tricks, but trying to just recreate something else that someone just created in a tutorial is not very interesting for me and I just lose interest. I make up a small little project about something that I'm excited and then I use that technology to go for it. And what helps enable the speed is usually I'll read a bunch of stuff, but I'll read it as I encounter problems. Like, I won't read like a whole bunch about it beforehand. I'll just start the solution. And as I run into a particular issue that I'm having, I will go resolve it. If it's a technical issue, maybe Stack Overflow or something like that. But there's obviously different resources for for different technologies and things that you're trying. And I've now lately have found YouTube to be an invaluable tool to get up to speed. But yeah, my, my biggest tip for that is make up a fun project for yourself that you'd enjoy doing on your free time, something that might even be useful for your friends and family or for yourself, and just go for it and uh, read it, read and solve things as they come up. But don't feel like you have to read about the technology for 20 hours before, before getting started. So that's prime my top tip. So you're learn by doing, but not just randomly doing, like you're creating some meaning, a, yeah. a productive output. Yeah, because like we're so busy, right? Like we're busy with stuff during our the regular course of our workday. We're busy after work. And so what I found is if I don't create something that uh, gets me excited as like a premise, then I end up just not doing um, the learning or doing it as quickly as or as efficiently as I otherwise would. Yeah, I'm a very learn by doing kind of person too. Yeah, I was thinking about specifically around technology. I was a big fan of the copy paste inheritance, you know, just go to Stack Overflow and copy and paste and try to force it into work, which is one strategy. It's not a great one if you're really trying to learn. And so it's in that that history with my own personal experience where this advice is coming from and because there's so much information out there 
about any technology these days. You can go to Stack Overflow, you can watch YouTube videos, you can take courses, you can go through a boot camp. There is so much information out there. What I started to find is that finding a high quality source of information is more and more important these days. And so I would say the best way to learn a new topic or technology is to find the highest quality source of information about it that you can and invest some time up front there before you jump into the first Google search result or a book recommendation that somebody gave you because there's just frankly a lot of garbage out there. And if you're really trying to do this to learn something, then it's worth investing time to identify the right source of information. If you need something just to get it working, then you're probably not really interested in the answer to this question. So I'm gearing it more towards a learning perspective and ensuring you've got a high quality source, if that makes sense. Yeah, and sometimes we have such an aversion to paying for videos and apps and and things like that now, but sometimes there is training that costs money that's very well done and you definitely get the value you pay for it. But again, there's a buyer beware component there because there's a lot that is garbage and it still costs money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with what y'all are saying. There's a few different learning types, right? You have a visual, auditory, those kind of things. That only gets you so far, though. I do fully believe you have to learn by doing and really completing things. And this is coming from someone who is like gets super distracted, and I may start something and not finish it. Uh, That happens a lot. Getting something from twenty, like from zero to twenty percent done or to eighty percent done usually is like the lowest effort, lowest growth part of the project. It's really getting to that 100% mark where the learning and magic comes in. And so I would say like the oxygen of growth here, of learning a new technology, a new topic, is to create a project around it. Just what Igor says, it has to be meaningful. It can't just be busy work and actually finishing that project. Because in that final 20%, I think is a lot of core learning and growth that that comes into play that you just wouldn't get if you only did did it halfway or something. Uh, the other thing I could think of too is teach it to others. Can you write a blog post about what you learned, create a video, an email, something like that? It doesn't have to be high production quality, but typically if you can teach something to others in your own words and you're not relying on figuring out, like Googling and figuring it out as you go, it could lead you to a higher level of understanding as well. I really like that. I second that one for sure. Yeah. Reminds me of the Feynman technique. Have you all heard of this? It's a learning technique. No. It's from Richard Feynman. He's a, was he a physicist? Physicist, yeah. yeah. You take a sheet of paper and you write up at the top the name of your topic. And then you proceed to try to write down how you would teach this to a five-year-old or an eight-year-old. And if you can't, then you've got more to learn. I, I love it. It's less of a technique and more of a a gut check, because if you can't communicate it to others, then you don't really understand the material. You know? so, yeah, that's why I love your your suggestion, Robert. Yeah, that's funny. So on uh, Wired, they have things like uh, computer scientist explains machine learning in five levels of difficulty. And so mm-hmm. like Hillary Mason, mm-hmm. who's really big into AIML, that was a pretty good one, but she's explaining machine learning to a five-year-old. Wow. To a kid, yeah. and then a teen, and then someone in college, and then a grad student in the field, and then an expert in the field. Mm-hmm. And it goes from 
this super simplistic way. And she's like asking questions like, how would you think this would work? And then by the time you get to expert, it's just two peers having a conversation. It's really interesting. And yeah, I think that boiling it down, it makes sense. So how would you explain this to a five-year-old? You have to really distill it there Mm -hmm. that, that shows that you can take it from where you think you're at to actually being able to explain it. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'll find a link for the show notes, Robert, for the Feynman technique. If you find that link to the video, I would love to see that. Watch that. Oh, yeah. The five Here, we'll put in the show notes and uh, Wired. Pretty sure. Yep. Computer Scientist Explains Machine Learning. There you go. I will send that to you right now and put in the show notes. Kids might get a kick out of it, too. And maybe one thing I'll add on this, too. You said, I can't remember the term you used, but it's like the where you use Google or Stack Overflow to to copy and paste. Yeah, copy-paste inheritance, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> copy-paste inheritance, I like that. Yeah. A lot of what we do, though, and, and when we create things, is we're, we're more assembling than creating. And so I don't think that's a bad thing. You, it can be used as a crutch, though. And so I definitely, I get your point there, but don't think it's a bad idea to pull ideas and concepts from that people have already solved, solved problems to bring in and make your own. I think that, that kind of gets to the underlying philosophy that we at our firm is that technologies come and go. And so, sure, you got to know enough about the specific technology to solve the problem in front of you. But most technologies follow some sort of pattern and some sort of underlying principle. And as you learn by copying, pasting from Stack Overflow and getting it to work or creating a project of your own that is meaningful, really what we're trying to do is learn these underlying principles. And you can't learn those underlying principles without actually learning uh, a specific technology, for example. But at some point, I remember as I ramped up on new technology after new technology, maybe the third or fourth or fifth time, it was VB.net at first, and then it was Java, and then it was C Sharp, and then it was JavaScript. You, you see, it's, oh, yeah. And next time you pick up something new, you know what to look for. You understand kind of these foundational constructs that are shared across all technologies. There's like a it, language. Yeah. yeah, there's a language, yeah, that yeah. You know, computer scientists know and they speak, but most of us don't because we don't have to. And that's really the key to accelerated learning over time. I know that's not exactly the question that was asked, but that is at least our purpose. It's like you learn one technology so that way you can get better at learning new technologies in the future. And if you do that three or four times, then picking up a new technology is just, it's so much easier right than the first time. Yeah. My, my background was uh, more back-end, like thick client stuff. And so I would use make heavy use of the debugger and breakpoints and stuff like that. And when you go to web development, even on the front-end stuff, like there's a way to, they like built that in, even though it mm-hmm. might not be as natural because it's not compiled. Yeah. But there's still a way to run through and assess in a debugging way because that's what, how people are used to fixing the stuff that they wrote poorly or incorrectly or whatever. Okay, cool. So, ready for question number two? Let's do it. Okay. How often should I check in with my boss? So, this is especially geared at new hires, but could apply to anyone starting a new job, working on a new project, or even if you've been on a team for 18 months, two years, and and just don't know. What do y'all think about this one? I had an initial reaction to this question when it was posed to us. It's so dependent upon many different things. And so I let me just unpack it a little bit. Y'all can help me do that. There's a balance 
that has to be established between your boss and yourself. And so I think the very first advice is you should ask this question of your boss. Because if you don't make it explicit like that, then your boss might perceive it as, wow, you need a lot of help. You're being really needy. You're not able to operate independently. But if you don't reach out to them, then they may worry that you're venturing off into the unknown and wasting time and energy and be not be not sure as to what you're doing. And so there's, I think my first advice is like, figure that out with your boss. And that's probably advice number one. And then whatever that agreement is, maybe that's once a week, maybe that's three times a week, maybe that's once a month, I don't know. Be open to ad hoc interactions outside of that. Because sometimes I, I get stuck into the oh yeah, we've got a regular one-on-one once a week or once every two weeks. Let me just wait for that to come up. That's not always the right answer. And so figure out some sort of cadence, but don't get too locked into that because there are going to be times when you need to check in more frequently depending upon an assignment or a situation or an escalation or whatever. And just be prepared to do that. Know that that's okay. Those are the first reactions I had to that. I couldn't agree more. I I definitely agree. This one asking shows you care. As a leader of people, it helps to know who's bought in. And so I think there's a level of proactivity there, but a behavior that will be interpreted as proactive. And I think, yeah, it's not about what you want here. It's about the level of communication that your boss is looking for and your manager, whoever. And so if you get on the same page about that, then... I think only good things can happen. And this may be a conversation that doesn't happen just once either. If uh, someone leaves, for instance, and you're responsible for helping with the knowledge transfer or a new large project or initiative comes on where you get more responsibility, which we'll talk about here in a second, it may say, hey, should we ramp up our communication here? Would you like weekly updates? Like, How could I best keep you updated on how this is going? Because I know it's important. And so it's not just a set and forget a thing either. And I would also just add, you're probably not communicating with your boss enough. Most people, I would say, could stand to do 20% more than they think they should, <laughs> which is probably 50% more than what they're doing right now. What, what do you think that is? Yeah, so for me personally, I just crave autonomy. So mm-hmm. I actually don't like when people are in my business, even yeah, though it makes total yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> you know, that's a personal, personal character flaw. Yeah. And you're afraid, of, sometimes afraid of what they're going to say. Like you could bring, how, how many issues could be completely avoided if they were escalated and surfaced, even imperfectly earlier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tons. Yeah. But people are afraid. They're in denial. If you're a boss that reacts poorly when people give you bad news, then you're just going to get less news. And so... Yep. I think mostly it's just out of a desire for autonomy, fear of getting in trouble, those kind of things. I'll tell you one other thing that that I think pairs well with those is the thought that my boss is too busy. It's like, oh, I don't want to bother them. They've got more important things to think about or their time is more valuable spent doing other things. That is such a, such a gosh, I don't even know what the right word is. Misguided? Misguided, yeah. Very misguided. Don't make that decision for them, that's my advice there. It's we're all busy. It's just your boss probably looks your boss is busy looks different than yours. We all got the same number of hours in a day that we typically work, generally speaking, but don't let the oh, they look really busy 
be a reason why you don't talk to your boss on a regular basis. That's uh, I, I see that as a common blocker for why people don't talk to their boss as much as they could or should. Yeah, I think we stole all of Igor's thunder. Anything to add on that one, buddy? <laughs> nah, here, well, here comes the I, wisdom, I, right? The no, wisdom, that, that's the right. correct answer is Charles one, and I just once a week. showed you where the tip of the iceberg was, yeah. No, yeah, like, this is such a, depend. what does checking in mean? How much time does that take? What's the nature and content of, like, the check-in? Uh, I think that really matters. And, and maybe it also differs whether you're in person or remote. I do think that generally people tend to under- check in rather than over check in and i think for most people they shouldn't be like afraid of annoying your boss because if they're a good manager they want to be there for you to help you resolve whatever's getting in your way part of a big part of what they're there for and like you said robert there's probably a lot of things that could be resolved more uh, effectively if they were communicated during it so whatever check in looks like with your boss, but you definitely can't go wrong having a conversation about what the expectations are and coming to a workable solution that makes sense. I think if you're checking in with your boss less than once a week, that's probably not great. I think there's probably very few cases where there's it's good that you're not checking in at least once a week. But I also don't see an issue where in certain contexts and certain work environments and needs that you could be checking in multiple times a day. And those check-ins might, the once a week check-in might look like half an hour and the multiple times a day check-in might just look like five minutes. So that's, that's kind of my little addition. But for the most part, I think you guys are spot on, especially with the first point about talking to your boss. But also understanding that you should be reconciling both of your needs in that conversation. It's not just, hey boss, how often should I check in with you? You should check in with me every day. Okay, sounds good. Like I, I don't know if that's an effective conversation to have. Uh, it should be a two-way thing and you should fully understand why every day matters to your boss and maybe what the check-in actually and set boundaries and expectations and create like you know mutual understanding between. between. All right, cool. Last one. In our rapid fire questions, how do I get more responsibility? I think Charles, I, you might have gotten context around this, but this is typically asked of people who want to grow their career, to get new experiences, to get promoted, those kind of things. How can I take on more as a proxy for if I do that and I do well at it, then I'll be rewarded, whatever that looks like. Cool, Igor, you want to take that first since you <laughs> had to suffer through? I didn't know. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed my way through that. No <laughs> suffering. Yeah, I, th- I, think if you're, I think if your attitude to taking on more responsibility begins and is spurred by what you, I think, just described, Robert, as a quid pro quo. If I take on more responsibility, I will get you know, these, let's say, material rewards. Right, I'll get promoted faster. I'll get a bonus. I'll get an out of boy or an out of girl, whatever it is. And I think if that's where, if that's the impetus for this question, then probably, like, probably not a good place to start. If your impetus is I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to experience 
those are probably better st- starting points than like, I want to have more from a, some sort of compensation standpoint. And the way to do it a lot of times is uh, by looking for opportunities to exercise like your creativity and just being proactive and taking responsibility in that area and not like waiting until somebody has a conversation with you about it. Not, um, and a lot of times not even, let's say asking for like outright permission. Some of the best times that I've asked for more responsibility is I'd have, Hey, I would like, here's an example of a conversation I had like very early on in my career. I said something like, I think we would really benefit if our distributors, which in this case were our customer, you know, our customers, if our distributors had a higher level of quality in their communication and used like different medium, and here's how I think that might work across print and web and let's say video. And I was just like really interested in doing all these things. And I I connected my interest in doing those things with a potential benefit for uh, our customers and our company. And then I had a rough plan in mind. And I just said, hey, this is what I'd like to do. And yeah, like it could have gotten shot down. But I think because my boss saw like my passion for it and it was a decently good case uh, to do it. And I showed them how it can be done without adding a huge expense or it wouldn't really affect the quality of the work that I was doing today. I thought of like objections and constraints beforehand. He said, yeah, that's sounds great. You know, uh, go for it. And I just started doing it. And I did that my first six months on my job or whatever it is out of school. And what that taught me is that if I continue to do that, I have an infinite way to like shape every job that I ever have. And I have shaped every job that I've ever had in that same way. And there's a lot of like freedom and autonomy and agency in that, which has been really good for me personally in my, in my career. And so that's like my advice is don't think of asking for more responsibility as some sort of quid pro quo. And basically just say, make an offer that they can't refuse just to coming up with uh, ways that objections that your boss might have by, oh, you're too busy for that. Or we're going to have to spend a lot more money to be able to do that. You want to resolve some of those things by thinking through them a little bit ahead of time to show that this is not just like some whim that you have and you're being blown around by the wind, but that, that there's an actual, you know, thoughtful proposal in place. And what I found is that the financial rewards actually just come <laughs> eventually to you. They're like a nice consequence or, or a bonus, which is but I think if I ever started out with, oh, I'm going to do it because I'll get a promotion. I think that's like a losing starting place. I know we're close to out of time. So let me drop my one sentence answer in, Robert, so you can get a word in, last word in too. Is that okay? Love it. It's not that I don't like your answer, Igor, but we are on a time crunch. My advice would be to take on more responsibility, find and train your successor, like in whatever it is that you're currently doing. I think that's my my advice it's a very different awesome dynamic advice. let me just take on more and more right there's this put more and more on my plate say, yeah that that happens but eventually you want stuff to come off your plate so you can take on even higher level things and to take it off your plate 
it needs to go to somebody else. So that's my advice. Yeah, that's great. The other thing too is there's uh, a level of improvement we have. If you're the first time you do a task, whatever it is, it's probably going to take you the longest. The 10th time you do it should be much shorter. And so there is an aspect of you, like things don't get easier, you just get better at them. So that could also be a way to create some margin. But I, I would say we might recommend in certain instances burning hotter so that you can create more space through effort to get stuff done. But that's that probably shouldn't be your default mode. I definitely agree. And then training just, your replacement might just be like automation of your yeah. task. Like or deleting like yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. The replacement could point. be nobody. Yeah. 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 The the other thing too, so if you if you're crushing your daily work, your responsibilities, and part of that would help you get more done in less time or the same done in less time, it's going to be easier to go ask. And I think asking for more is definitely the right way to go. Look at the things that your boss has on his or her plate and say, that report that you go and generate, what if I took a stab at that? Could I help you with that? Or is there anything that you're overburdened with that I could take off your plate? And sometimes they'll say yes. And so I think just asking makes a lot of sense. And Managers don't have a full picture about what you're doing or how well you're doing it. They have a pretty good idea, but they're taking core samples, right? They're not micromanaging you with you every day. And even the best ones don't have that complete picture. So it's your responsibility to make sure they know what you're doing, how well you're doing it, and what kinds of things you're looking uh, to experiences you're looking for to, to grow your career. And that feeds into our previous answer, which is have those discussions with your boss so you, so you know where you stand and so there, and that you've signaled that you're interested in in taking on more and growing your career. So there we go. That's all of it. Nice guys. Three minutes over. <laughs> Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, it was great talking to you all Not today. Not bad at all. Yeah. Thanks a lot, y'all. All right. Have bye. a good one. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com.